You guys know we're not just a ministry. That's it. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I love saying that. I really do. Because I feel like God is connecting us more today than he ever has before. Would you guys agree with that? And you know, what happened on this day, thousands of years ago, was about unity. You know, we're celebrating today Pentecost Sunday. And the whole story of Pentecost Sunday begins by talking about the people of God who were gathered together in one room, right? In one mind and in one accord, right? They were in unity. Everybody say unity. So I know that normally we emphasize the fire of God. We emphasize tongues. We emphasize the power of God coming down and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Um, But, you know, today, as I was thinking about Pentecost Sunday, I wanted to emphasize unity. How's that? Is that okay? Because it's a miracle that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out. I mean, that's supernatural. But let's be honest, unity is supernatural. Like unity is unusual. Would you guys agree with that? Like to really have a spirit of unity where people are in one mind and one accord, where people are connected, where people are all together. Like that is miraculous. That is supernatural. You know, it's one thing to have a church where everybody's, you know, coming to the table and, uh, you know, we might look different or be different from different backgrounds. Um, And that's good. That's great. Um, But it's not so good if we just all come together different. We never connect. We never unify. And then we leave the table different and diversified. Like, I really believe that the whole element of like the sacrament and communion and coming to the table of the Lord and what Jesus came to accomplish is actually to bring us together so that we could connect, that we could unify. And from that place, experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So like, what if unity is a precursor of a fresh baptism? I mean, it's just a submission. What if unity, what if our hearts to connect and be together could be a precursor to an outpouring of something that God wants to do in our city like he did in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago? What if our connectedness, what if our family bond with one another could just be the, the, the appetizer you know, on the way to the main course of a citywide revival. I don't know. I I feel like that's not going over that well, but you know, I just think, I don't know. To me, I think there's something on that. What do you guys think? That has nothing to do with the message today. I just thought like I should say something because it's Pentecost Sunday. You know what I mean? It's funny because charismatics, like I grew up charismatic. I don't know if you did or not, but like charismatics like to pretend that they don't have any liturgical uh, aspects to their traditions. But the truth is Pentecost Sunday is, a, is, is on the church calendar. It's a very liturgical thing to celebrate. It's, I think charismatics celebrate it because it's the fire of God that's poured out. You know what I mean? And as a good Pentecostal, like we hadn't really had church unless we've had a fire tunnel. So if you guys don't know what that is, like... You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We'll do it at some point. Right? Today, okay, here we go. (laughs) It's good. I I really like this because that's unity, right? When you can acknowledge someone else's differences but still eat together. Right? You know, I think if you're mad at somebody, you just eat with them.
You, you know, you know, you know why I think that's the case is because it's hard to not acknowledge somebody else's humanity as they're eating tacos. You know what I'm saying? Because like, it, it's it's true, right? Because like, we see one another's humanity, we see one another's dependency upon nourishment and food, and we recognize our similarities, and that we're all just dependent upon the grace of God. And without His miraculous grace, like we go unsustained. And like, I think it's a great place for us to connect. Like, so maybe that's just an opening word. Like, if you don't like somebody in here, ask them to go to lunch afterwards. <laughs> So if you ask me to go to lunch afterward, I might assume that you're offended at me. I'm just kidding. JK. Hey, let's open the Bible to Mark chapter 12. And um, I'm going to have a bit of a continuation from where I started two weeks ago. I just want to read from a different perspective, okay? Does that work? Awesome. That's great. All right. So we're going to go to, uh, to Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture today verses 28 through 34, and uh, we're going to talk about what we talked about two weeks ago when Jesus was confronted by a scribe, as Mark describes it, and then as an expert in the law, as Matthew describes it. But this is a really awesome passage of Scripture if you understand the storyline of what is happening in Jewish culture in this moment, all right? So we'll read it together. It says, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel. Everybody say, Shema. Shema. It's, it's some Hebrew, okay? Everybody say, Shema. Shema. Yisrael. Yisrael. If there's anybody Jewish in here, can you confirm that I got that right? Okay. As an American, it was pretty close, right? As an American, my Southern accent, her husband's Jewish. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's say that part together. The Lord is one. Say that one more time. The Lord is one. Right? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Everybody say heart together. heart right so what possibly might bring the calves back from O2 heart I don't care who wins that game that series because the Warriors are going to win the whole thing because Steph Curry is the Lord's anointed and <laughs> right with yeah, right. Alan said this for you. Come back, Holy Spirit. Right? <laughs> with all your heart. Everybody say your heart. your heart. And with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is, this is quite a profound response by this scribe, by the way. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. 
Jesus has several mic drop moments in the gospels that I just thoroughly enjoy. Well, let's pray. God, we just ask you to anoint the word today. We, we know it's anointed, but just anoint me to share it uh, in such a way that brings transformation and love to your people. God, we just open up our hearts right now and we ask you speak into us. Speak into us, God of the universe, the one who's fashioned us, the one who's formed us. We want a word directly from God today, not a canned message. I didn't come with one of those anyway, but Lord, we just ask you to really transform us today and make us different as a result of our time together in the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. So uh, the, the topic or the title of this message today is the Lord is one, all right? The Lord is one. And I'll try to pull out a few uh, truths about this story that, that, would, that would make that, that title applicable. For me, sermon titles are always difficult and challenging because I'm like, I got to do something catchy, you know, that people are going to like and want to listen to the podcast. Uh, but sometimes I just like to take it right from the scriptures. And uh, what really fascinated me about this story is actually what Jesus says when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment of the law, right? He's asked a question, and then here it is, Jesus is quoting an ancient prayer. He's saying, hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, which this is the first prayer that parents would pray over their babies at night. You know, this is one of the first prayers that you would hear at temple when you attended on a Saturday. This is one of the first things that you would hear as people gathered together for a meal. They would collectively and constantly say these prayers, this ancient prayer that had been spoken for the first time by Moses in Deuteronomy. I mean, this was said and recited and talked about constantly for thousands of years prior to this moment when Jesus is asked, hey, you're obviously stumping everybody. We've sent you our best. We've sent you experts in the law. We've sent you our smartest, most wise priest. And every single time they try to challenge you and disprove your ministry, you always stump them and you send them packing. And so here it is, these two camps, you got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and they've come together with this brilliant plan. And they're like, we know the question to ask him to disprove his ministry. It is this, what is the greatest commandment of the entire law? Because for years and years, there had been two factions, two groups, really, that was, uh, you know, with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, that they were debating what is the most important commandment in the law. And for the most part, the entire law and all the commandments there were divided up into two groups, which were the do's and the do-nots, right? And so this was religion. This was the, the people's relationship with God. It was completely based upon what you do and what you do not do. Are you guys thankful that Jesus has delivered us uh, from this idea of religion, that our whole relationship with God would be based upon what we do and what we do not do? I'm thankful because what Jesus does in this moment is he responds and gives us an upgrade. He says, it's not about what you do or don't do. It's about your love. Because that's the gospel, right? That's the good news that Jesus came to bring to the people. It's not about your behavior first. It's about God's love to you first. Just pretty beautiful, right? And so what they're expecting here is to catch Jesus in a debate that he will not be able to win. Because all these different groups have divided on what commandments are the most important. And so what the scribe understands is that when I ask this question to Jesus and he answers, it doesn't matter what he says, he's going to bring more division. 
because there's people on this side that think this law is the best. There are people on this side, this side that think this law is the greatest. So it doesn't matter what he says, he's gonna bring further religious division and there's gonna be one group of people who are gonna argue with him and be able using the Holy Scriptures, which everybody respects to disprove this man's ministry. They felt like they had the perfect plan together. They had the perfect trap to catch Jesus in. And so they're coming to get, see, they're forgetting though that he actually authored the scriptures that they're asking him about. So, you know, it's kind of tough to stump somebody on something that they created and they understand uh, from the, you know, the end to the beginning and the inside out and forward and backward. You know, he, I mean, he wrote that. So it's, it's, it's kind of wild, you know, here, here they are asking the author of the scriptures and challenging him with his own book, right? And instead of saying, well, oh, actually this group is right or that group is right, this law here that says do not do this or this law here that says you better do this, none of those are actually what is the greatest or the first. In fact, it's interesting that even as he responds and he says, this is the greatest and this is the first, the word here in Greek, if you look at the word uh, great, is the word megas, which is where we get our word mega, right? Mega. And then the um, first, this word first is the Greek word protos, which is where we get our word priority. And so whenever Jesus says, you want to know the answer to your question? Well, here is God's mega priority. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is... You guys want to know something funny? When, as a kid, this was the very first thing that I learned about God. Honestly, that the Lord was right? And uh, my, my dad, he'll tell you the story today because it, it's something that we just did all the time as kids. He'd say, how many gods is there? How many gods? Is and so all my brothers collectively, they, you know, we learned this whole idea. This was our first theological lesson. Hey, son, how many gods is there? One. <laughs> so <laughs> this, was, this was our beginning of theology, right? One God. And so what, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is quoting an ancient prayer, but before he actually starts to quote the prayer, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And so his response is not just about our affections. It's not just about our heart and not just about our love. It's also about our theology. It's also about how we, what we believe about God. Which I think is very interesting that Jesus would start in this way. And before talking about our affections, he talks about our theology. He says, here, Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? That there's one. Why would he say that? Now, I know for us, like as monotheistic people, meaning we confess the belief in one God, this is very easy for us to grab and comprehend. But you got to remember that Jesus is actually not talking to westernized, Americanized, evangelical Christians. You guys with me? Uh, okay, I'm... Are you guys with me? Am I boring you guys yet? I'm giving you a little, I'm giving you a little background. Is it okay? Yes. You know, I'm, I'm low-key like a nerd. You guys know that, right? <laughs> I'm a Bible geek. It's just low-key, all right? So, so there's a reason why that this was, this was such a common confession. It's because our best prayers actually shape our theology. If I want to know what you believe about God, all I got to do is listen to you pray. Because we are a product of our prayers, right? And what we believe about God makes its way to the surface in our prayer life, right? And so what, what you know, in, in, in early age Jewish culture, one of the first things they did was teach them to pray this prayer. 
not just because they wanted young Jewish kids to grow up with an understanding of how we're supposed to feel about God, but they wanted Jewish kids to grow up with an understanding of what we're supposed to believe about God. Yeah. 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 Amen. You guys with me? Amen. Okay. And in, in an Eastern context, the pervasive understanding of God was that there were many gods. Okay, I used to be a missionary to India, all right? And so Hindus, they worship 33 million gods, right? So you can't even name all of them, right? But your family kind of adopts like the one God that it, you know, um, says that it worships most often and you put their icon, you know, in your house and you have statues and idols essentially, you know, in your house and you ask them to bless you for different reasons. Now, you see these people uh, who are worshiping these gods so passionately. And I'll be honest with you guys. Like uh, when I first went there, I thought to myself, man, this is so dumb. Like these people are worshiping a, a story, a figment of their imagination. Like this is not actually real. But can I tell you guys, it is real. Let me read you a quick scripture. So in 1 Corinthians 8, 4 and 6, it says, there is no God but one. Keep that in mind. For even if there are so-called gods, and whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one, the Father. So what you have to understand here is that there are many gods, little g, but as we understand God, capital G, that is Yahweh, that is the God of Israel, that is the God our Father, and that is what this prayer is teaching us about, is that, hey, there are many spirits, there's many opportunities for you to worship, but there's only one that you worship and that is the that is Yahweh that is God the Father right that's the God of Israel that's the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob right and so there's this element of theology where they're teaching them but they're also helping them to understand there's a spiritual reality here and you have a choice in who you worship now I know for us growing up maybe monotheistic oh it's just one God you know it's just it's just Jesus or whatever we don't really think about that but I think if we're honest with ourselves we can be reminded of the fact that we have a choice when we worship and just because we're Christians doesn't necessarily mean that our Lord is our number one right because here's the truth you worship what you want the most right and that's the second part of the prayer is that God doesn't just talk to us about our theology and about our belief system, right? He actually then dives into our affections and he wants to talk to us about our heart and he wants to talk to us about our love. And he said, hey, look, I'm going to connect something here for you. Your worship to me, the greatest commandment, if you want to sum up the entire Old Testament, if you want to look at the law and you want to look at the prophets and bring a summary of them all, it is this. Here's the right theology, here's what you believe, and here's the right love. Here's how you focus your affections. And that's what Jesus is articulating here as he's responding to this scribe. He's talking not just about how we think about God, but he's also talking about how we thirst for God. And if this really sums up you know, the law and the prophets, I think it's very interesting that the question can still be posed to us today is that is do, do we love God with our whole heart? Do we love God with our, our whole mind, right? Do we love God with all of our strength? Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? And I love to say this, that, that we don't just read the Bible like the Bible reads us. 
You know, when we read it, it convicts us of righteousness. It convicts us of what's possible for our lifestyles. It shows us a better way. It shows us a higher lifestyle. And then we're confronted with the truth. And then we have to ask ourselves, am I living this way or am I refusing to live this way? Am I repenting and living in accordance to God's ways? Or am I asking God to change his mind so that he can be comfortable and allowing me to live my own way? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So many times we try to bombard heaven to convince Jesus to bless what we're, what we're doing. When in fact, the, the way of God is to get involved in what God is doing because it's already blessed. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? See, it's, it's, it's what, what I think Jesus understood and what we should understand is that God is not a part of our lives. We are a part of his. Being, being a new covenant Christian is not trying to figure out how to fit God into your life. It's becoming a part of the life of God. You, you didn't get saved because you gave your life to God. You got saved because God gave his life to you. That's why you're saved. And that's why you're able to live in a righteous way, completely in love with God. Because if it was up to you and your own ability and your own strength and your own education and your own choices and your energy and your, your uh, you know, your, your gift mix or your charisma or how you execute, I can promise you that none of us would be able to make it. But thank God that Jesus showed us a better way. He said, listen, you guys are debating about do's and do nots. What's the greatest thing I should observe? What's the greatest thing that I should reject? Hey, before we get into any of that, let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about what you really want. Let's, no, I'm, I'm, and I'm telling you today, legacy, 9 a.m. Hey, let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about what you really want. Can I ask you that question? What do you really want? Like, what do you want the most, more than anything else? Because what you want the most is what you worship. And if you have to check with that thing before you obey God, that's an idol. Right? Whatever that is. Whatever, you know, what we want the most is what we think about the most often. Let me ask you that question. What do you think about the most often? What do you crave the most often? What do you want the most often? What is it that could cause you to bend your morals to get it? You know what I mean? Like, because those things in our lives, those are the things that we need to repent of, right? Because those are the things that God has not asked us to cling to because they're a counterfeit life. They'll leave our soul shriveled, but our ego bloated. Right? You guys with me? Right? I want to help you. Like, I just been on this thing about like, just, just getting anchored in who I really am rather than try to live out of everything I want to do. Right? I I told the second service two weeks ago, you can do, 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 and that's exactly what you'll get. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Right? But let me ask you the question, what do you what do you want the most? Because so here's the thing, it's very interesting, right? When you talk about when you talk about the heart, um, I don't know if I, if I did that whole theology portion justice, but we'll have a convo about that later, okay? I want to dive into the heart. Is that cool? All right. I have some more on that, but maybe it'll come out in the second service. You can double dip if you want. But in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says this, And you shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart. Now, have you ever read the scripture and you thought to yourself, what, what, is, what is the heart? Have you ever thought about that? Because he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. You ever, you ever tried to break that down? Like, that's a lot of love. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, what's the difference in the heart and the soul? Right. You have to come back another Sunday if you want to know that. <laughs> what's the difference in the mind and the heart? You ever thought about that? You know, because this is what God is not just suggesting. This is what God is commanding. Right? Right? He's saying, you shall love me with your whole heart. Right? You know, the heart is your inner life. Right? That's your will. That's what you want. That is your character. Right? It's your integrity. That's what the heart is. Now, when the Bible talks about heart... It is actually the Greek word cardia, right? It's where we get our word cardiac. And it, when you look up this word cardia in the Hebrew equivalent of this word, guess how many times it's used in the Bible, the word heart? Over 800 times. Interestingly enough, though, this word is never used, never, not one time ever used to describe an actual physical human heart. Over 800 times, the Bible talks about the heart, and it is only ever talked about figuratively. And despite heart being used so often in the Bible, it's often difficult for us to decide or determine what a simple definition for the heart is because it's translated in so many different ways. If you look up in the Strong's Concordance, you'll see that the heart is considered to be the inner life or the intention. But I found this other resource called the Helps Bible, and it describes the heart for us as the desire producer that makes us tick. Here's, if I could define the word heart for you in a biblical way, it is this, it's your desire. If you wanna read the Bible through a different lens, every time it says heart there, over 800 times when it says heart, you can exchange the word heart for desire, and I think you'd have a very accurate biblical interpretation of what God's trying to communicate. So whenever, whenever God says, you shall love me with all of your heart, this is what he's saying. You shall love me with all of your desire. Yes. Yes. You shall love me with all of your desire. That's what God's saying. You shall love me with all of your desire. Because this whole prayer that Jesus recites, it's not just about our theology, right? It's about our thirst. And that, that's, that's why I genuinely want to ask you guys the question, like, what, what, what do you desire? What do you desire most? What are you most thirsty for? What do you want the most? What do you wake up every day and you say, man, I gotta have this. I'm going after this. I desire this. I want this. I must have this. If I don't get anything else, I've gotta get this today. If I don't get anything else this month, I've gotta get this. If I don't get anything else in this life, I've gotta get this. Whatever that is, whatever you desire most is actually what you're loving with all of your heart. Right? And this is why the, 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 the theological element of this prayer is so important. It's the hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? That means he's one. He's one God, yes, but he is also one as in number one, right? That is the, that is the first commandment in the Ten Commandments. You shall, you shall have no other gods before me, right? Even that in itself is God acknowledging the existence of other spiritual powers and saying, hey, you could desire those things. You could give your life to those things. But hey, listen, that's, that, that's not my law of love. The relationship that I want to have with you is that I not only am one in your theology, but I'm number one in your affections. Yes. Yes. And so what you want the most is me. 
Can you guys, you guys remember Psalm 42? It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When's the last time we ask ourselves a question like that? When shall I come and appear before God? Man, Sunday's almost here. You know what I'm saying? Like I get to be in the congregation with my family and worship Jesus, right? Said, so, yeah. yeah, okay, right? Like, I th- we go through ebbs and flows and seasons and times where our desires, you know, they, they, they change and they're transformed. But what God has designed us to do is that our desire for Him would always be first. And it's not that He condemns all other desires, it's not that He says, oh, you can't have any other desires. You, you can't love anything else. You can't pursue anything else. He says, look, in the midst of life's pursuit and in the midst of life desires, there's a lot of things I'm going to bless and empower you to do. But here's what I bless most is that your number one desire in your life before money, before family, before people, before possessions, before fame, before influence, before breakthrough, before success, it is me that I'm number one. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And if you'll love him with all of your desires, then you're able to, in love, you're able to love him with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, right? Right? Because I, I think it, it, it's interesting, and I don't know if this is true or not. I haven't read anything on this, and so, you know, I'm not saying it's God. I just think there's sort of a foundational element here of how we're able to love God. You know, because eventually he goes to the mind, then he gets to the strength, right? What we can do with our hands, our work for God. And I think working for God, we can do that well when we start with the heart, when we start with the desire. But if what we want is not God first, then what we do here with our hands you know, just end up being performance. Right? Trying to get God to do something he's already done, which is love us. You know, more than anything else in the scripture, David, he desired God. And this is, this is what the Bible calls wholehearted love or full-time love. And I, I think it's interesting that we try to give God part-time love, but expect full-time blessing. You know, just, but this is what God has asked for. This is what God has commanded is that we would love him with our whole heart. And I, I know that we love to say, man, it's not about religion. It's about, right? My wife helped me out. It's, it's not about religion. It's about, you guys got it. But you know what? This hit me in my heart as I was studying this. It's not even about relationship. It's about romance. You know what I'm saying? Because like, it's like our, our desire for God, our relationship with God is not just like a, is, is not just an optional connection. Like, oh, when I, well, on Sundays, you know, I connect with God for a little bit and I'm more spiritual. Right? Don't act like we don't go to church in East Nashville. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause people say, oh, I'm spiritual. You know what I used to think? whatever, man, not spiritual, you know, but you know what I realize now? They totally are spiritual. It's not about them being spiritual. It's about what spirit they have relationship with. Oh, you are, you're totally spiritual. You're absolutely, I can actually validate that because the Bible says there's many gods. You obviously have a relationship with one of them, but let me tell you about the God I have a relationship with that I spell with a capital G. His name is Yahweh. It's actually over all other gods. And so my God is better than your God. You know, you might want to say that, but, but let's talk about him. 
Because here's the thing, all the things that you have to do in order to have relationship with that God, my God's already done those things to have relationship with me. And so what he's asked me and empowered me to do is actually love him with all of my desires. And when I have that, I have alignment in my life. So I don't have to, you know, count my chakras or do my ohms or make sure I get in 16 hours of hot yoga. Like I can, you know, you guys know, you guys get what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> right. Hey, this is what God, you know what, you know what God's greatest desire is? God's greatest desire is that he become your greatest desire. God's greatest desire is that he become your greatest desire. Is that you would want God first and foremost, that you'd want God the most, that you want God more than anything else. Hey, here's here's a few takeaway points I wanna give you guys as I'm closing here. You can write this down. We are to drive our desires, not to be driven by our desires. We are to drive our desires, not be driven by our desires, all right? So I I think in many ways, we look at ourselves as being subject to our desires, but the truth is our desires are subject to us. Is this helping you guys? I'm not trying to like Tony Robbins you right now. I'm just like, if you know who that is, like it's not a life coaching strategy. Like I'm telling you, like you're not called to be driven around life by your desires. You're actually enabled supernaturally to drive your desires. Because instead of making our desires our priority, we make our priority desiring God. How do we do this? Do we just come to church? Do we wait for a supernatural encounter? You know, hunger for God can be supernaturally imparted, but much more often it is stewarded by intentionally exposing ourselves to the presence of God. And that's something that you're able to do by making a choice to do so. I just want to say one thing real quick about repentance. You know, a because repentance is actually what leads to our transformation, right? Would you guys all agree with that? Sorry, I'm getting like super theological. It wasn't intentional. But you know what? Here's the thing I know. You guys are 9 a.m. So like you guys can, you guys can handle this. The 11, I don't know about the 11, but the 9. You guys, are, you guys are strong. There's something about the 9, man. Something about the 9. And so, right? So repentance leads to our transformation. But here's how I think that Christians a lot of times approach repentance. Let's use an example. They look at pornography or they make some other mistake. And they say, oh man, God, I just, I just repent. And I'm sorry I did that. And, you know, man, thank you for forgiving me. Man, it's awesome. Thanks for the blood. I just repent. All right, amen. And the next day they go back and do the exact same thing again, right? And then they look at it like it's God's fault. Like, man, God, I repented. What, like they look at it like it's an abracadabra, like it's a magic wand that's supposed to like just take everything away. Like, oh man, I just, but I said the repentance. Well, obviously this stuff doesn't work. Guess what I'm talking about, right? And so they look at it like a pill that we take by saying this prayer that all of a sudden frees us up from all the desires of the culture that we live in. 
But in truth, repentance is much more than that. Repentance absolutely is supernatural and that God gives us grace. But if you really study the idea and the word repentance in the Bible, you'll recognize that there is a choice that is invested in us that we're able to execute by our own willpower that says, I turn away from that and I walk in the opposite direction. So repentance is not praying a prayer, but then walking in the same direction of our, you know, of, of, of things we've done in the past that cause us to sin, but it's actually saying, God, I am personally making a decision and a choice to turn in the opposite direction of my sin and walk towards you. I depend upon your grace, your mercy, and your supernatural provision to keep me walking in this direction. But we don't keep walking in the direction of our sin and blame it on God when we stumble. Are you guys with me? Right? Repentance is not like a magic pill that you take that all of a sudden you don't feel anything anymore. God is not asking you to repent so you can be transformed into a robot. God God has led us to repent so we can be transformed into a new creation. Right? And so we can walk in the direction of God and, and, and and it's not like, oh, I guess I'll go to church. But for so many people, that's what Christianity is, right? It's like, it's something that we do out of obligation rather than something we do out of love. And I don't, I don't know how your marriage is, but if I just stayed married out of obligation, I don't think my marriage would be very joyful. You know what I'm saying? Like God has actually set this thing up. Not that we go to church or serve in kids or give tithe out of obligation, but we do it because it's the overflow of our heart bursting at the seams with joy because he's our first desire and we love him before anything else. Like this is the life that Jesus Christ died for right and with and see what he shows us is without abundant love there'll be no abundant life and that's why he's saying hey look you shall love the lord your god with all of your heart mind soul and strength this is the way that i've designed you as a new creation to live your life and this is what's available so i guess my question is do you prioritize desiring god do you prioritize desiring god you know what I should have done as I'm closing, as I should have, uh, I should have read from, from Revelation about first love. Do you, guys, do you guys remember that, that passage in Revelation where he's like, man, you did all these things right. Good job, church. But here's what I, here's what I have against you. Like you, you lost your first love. And if you, if you read that same passage in the Berean study Bible, the BSB, it says you, you've stopped doing the deeds you did at first. You've stopped doing the deeds you did at first. And so the way that first love is talked about through John is, is by our actions, the deeds we did at first. And can I ask you this? What were the deeds you did at first? When you first started your relationship with Jesus, what were the actions that you prioritized? Did you pray? Right? Right? How about this? Did you read your Bible? But we get into church for a few years and all of a sudden that stuff becomes religious. Right? I don't want to perform. Right? I'm not trying to poke fun. I'm just trying to be honest. So I just don't read it. You know? God ain't called me to perform. I'm a son. You know? Right? But you can be a son and still lose your first love. I can still, you know, you know what I'm saying? I can still be a Phillips but have no love for my dad right so he's like I got this against you you're not doing the things you did at first you lost your first love right 
How about this? Did you fast? <laughs> Did, you know what I'm saying? Did you fast? Did you say, man, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to fast. I'm, if it's a Daniel fast or some other fast, man, I'm going to take, take 10 days off of TV or social media. Or I just want to seek God. See that right there, guys, that's how we actually drive our desires rather than our desires driving us. We're not just reluctantly giving ourselves to the winds of culture. They will blow us to and fro, Paul says. But if we will drive our desires by prioritizing the thing that God highlights to us in the word so that we can love him with our whole heart, we say, look, before I do anything else, I do this first. And that's a practical tip you guys can take home today. Before you, you know what, you know one of the things you could do? You could take your phone and put it in your kitchen or you could take your phone and put it somewhere else so that the first thing you do is read the Bible before you read your timeline. You guys with me? So, I I mean, I just kind of rambled today, but I hope it's been helpful. Go ahead and stand up with me. I'm going to pray. get anything out of this? 9 a.m.? What what, would y'all get out of it? What was the the biggest lesson? (laughs) The Lord is one. Come on. Drive our desires. Come on. Unity. I like that. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good, huh? I like that a lot. So here's what I want to pray as we close. It's just God, you know, well, I think the enemy tries to convince us that weak love is no love, you know, but like God loves your love. Wherever it is, can I just tell you, God loves your love. Wherever you are with him, like God loves your love. If that's like a thimbleful and that's all you can muster up today, like God loves your love. Like he'll, ta- he'll take it. He'll take it and refresh himself with it. Like he'll, even if it seems small and like you think, man, this can't be enough to bring any refreshment to God, he takes it. Did did you guys see what the scribe said? He's like, he listened to the words of Jesus and he's like, man, this is what you want more than all these sacrifices and all these burnt offerings. Like you just want, you just want some love that comes from, that you just want some honest love. So wherever you are today, whatever's happening in your heart, let's just give God some honest love as we're closing. Like, even if it seems like it's not a lot right now, let's give that to God and ask him for more. God, we ask. You know, we ask for an increase of your love. We ask for an increase of tangible love. We know that it's been poured out on us through the cross. Lord, we ask you help us recognize it. Help us to see it every every place that you've poured out your love in our lives. Lord, help us to prioritize having a desire for you. Let it be our first love and the deeds that we've done at first. Let us go back and do those things again, Lord. Let us not neglect them as though they're elementary. They, they're, they're, they're not. They're fundamental. They're, they're, they're what we start with, but they're not what we leave behind. It's something we build on. It's the foundation we build on. So we thank you for the simple gospel and we thank you for the reality of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen.